The following podcast is work safe. to the 9,000th episode of We Talk Games. I think it's 22. I don't know why I can't say 9,000. I, I, honestly, huh, what a thought. Welcome, everyone, to We Talk Games. For the fans, by the fans, with the fans, in the fans, out the fans, people from the industry and around the industry and over, under, through. I am your host, Wiggly. In the booth. Oh. In the booth, Stinky's army buddy, Mr. Gerke. Hey, everybody! That's my button! All right. I can see this is going to be a humdinger of a show. In the closet! Although he's no longer sitting on a pizza box, it is now an empty Manischewitz box. Uh, Stinky the Game Master. Hey, Mr. Gerke, 51st Mortar Division, Railguns! That was the good old days. I remember when the comic books used to cost a nickel. Oh, yeah, man. And the fizzy cherry tear wine. I remember when we used to get the chocolate-covered fiberglass niblets. All right, all right. Comic books were never a nickel. They started at 10 cents, and I seriously doubt there were ever chocolate-covered fiberglass niblets. Now, we got a stacked show. By the way, you guys sort of sound alike. Did you grow up in the same neighborhood or something? No, you're just not that talented. I don't even know what that means. To my left, uh, t- where are you going, TT? Oh, I'm just, yeah, no. I've got to take a run into the tech center. What, from that PTA meeting with your students' parents? Don't worry about it for 800. Oh, huh. This wouldn't have anything to do with uh, Big Blue or something, or uh, I took a BM or something, would it? What is I'm going to get my CPU floated by IBM's Watson. Hey! All right, all right. Listen, we're on a time constraint. We got a stacked show! From a long, long time ago, like the 1980s, in a ranch far, far, far away from the East Coast. More from that artistic-driven think tank that was the Lucas Camp. Larry Ahern will be joining us momentarily. Plus, our first special correspondent from television and film, Kyle Von Kubik and Johnny Capcom, will join in the council of video game millionaires. And it's all coming to you right now. So let's get started. In fact, let's not get started. Let's go. We don't even have time for that. Mr. Gerke, open the line for Coach McGurky. All right. New York City by way of California. John Benjamin, welcome for the first time for your reviews on We Talk Games. Great to have you on board. We're still doing this, right? I guess. Until the cease and desist and the ratings go up. Yes. The answer is yes. Great. Uh, I'm stoked. Do some of your best bits from uh, Archer and... uh... Hey, it's great to finally talk to you, John. Now, I heard that Stinky uh, sent you some gifts. Yeah, let's start with the Stinks. Oh, cool. I I appreciate that he didn't wrap them in a a sandwich like he did previously. (laughs) He likes to do that. Yeah, I know. Uh, this actually, I got Nib, new in box. Mm. Yeah, um, the classic for the Game Boy Advance, uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. <laughs> now, is that real? Uh, unfortunately, it is. You know, 
when, when I saw the right before I even opened the box, I thought to myself, "Man, this is like those paintball video games." Like, who, <laughs> oh, right? Who what was a gotcha, these? gotcha for the uh, for the NES Zapper. It, or yeah, anything. that was actually I mean, pretty good. Them today, yeah, that was actually a pretty good uh, light gun game. Better than Gumshoe, but I don't oh. want to take the, the the robots out of your sails here. Let's let's find out about this. All right. Well, right off the bat, I mean, why do you why do you do paintball to simulate you know shooting each other, to simulate warfare? <laughs> yeah. Why do you play video games to simulate shooting each other to you know simulate warfare? Yeah. Uh, so why would you do a simulation of a simulation? I'll never know. But why would you do a simulation of Rock'em Sock'em robots? <laughs> Is a totally uh, more obscure question, I guess. Yeah. And I don't know how they took something so simplistic as uh, plastic robots punching each other in the face. Yeah. And made it the most frustrating and difficult uh, controlled game I've ever played on the Game Boy Advance. I, I also stay away from games like this, so yeah, that's not really that hard to achieve. You can pick between the what is it, the blue, the blue bomber yeah. and the red guy. I think it's cyan, but he's called the blue bomber. Yeah. So you hit buttons, you punch the guy in the face, but then it, it doesn't end there. You actually have to hammer on the shoulder but- buttons. To build up a meter so you can knock the other opponent's block off. Wow. Hey, you knocked my block off. Yeah, just from that commercial. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's really difficult doing that. So there's, (laughs) there's like, an exhibition mode and, uh, like, I guess, a road to the championship of Rock'em Sock'em (laughs) Robots. Uh, wow. I didn't get very far in this game, I'm going to be honest. I was getting very frustrated. I was trying to knock my opponent's block off, yeah. and I was more concerned about damaging my uh, Game Boy Advance SP, so I just I, I took this one out. You, you think it would just be more like luck, like the real game? Yeah, no, it's nothing like the real I could, game. I could just see that day when uh, the, the, the guy comes bursting in the office. He says, Marv, I just got us a license. Well, yeah, what is well, it? yeah. Rock'em Sock'em Robots. We're going to make dozens of dollars. <laughs> no one will ever know it even came out. <laughs> well, this does have one thing over the uh, tabletop game. You can play, um, I guess, over a bunch of different random backgrounds of like the desert and rocks <laughs> and stuff, which I guess wow. is a feature. Wow. And it's yeah. also in color. So, hey. Yeah, what's I actually was looking for Hungry Hungry Hippos, the video game. You know, I, I would appreciate that. That's the closest I got. Well, you, you, you kind of nailed it. All right, Stink. Oh! Stinky just threw a schmick at me. Oh, all right. A la Gyromite? Yeah, yeah, one of those Gyromite schmicks. Hey, speaking I of Gyromite those. and speaking of schmicks, have you seen the new We Talk Games quote-unquote 25T? 25T? Not 25T, it's 25, the title (laughs) of the t-shirt. You mean the 25T? Yes, exactly. Uh, No, what are you speaking of? Well, what this is, is a t-shirt celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Nintendo Entertainment System. By combining 25 characters from the first 25 games put out by Nintendo. Wow! And it's sort of like one of your doodles in the Katamari Bar Doodles. That's correct. I drew this. You went nuts! With a marker. I love it. Thank you. Don't say too much, because here's what I'm going to do. Okay. I'm going to give one of these t-shirts away for free. Oh, my. 
All you have to do, write to contest at wetalkgames.com. Tell me about each of the 25 characters and which games they represent. You have to tell me the characters' names. So, for instance, Schmick yeah. is for Gyromite. Right. And you got Google. You'll figure it out. And, and Popeye is from March of the Sea Hag Minis. Correct. Which was one of the first 25 games that Nintendo released. I'm pretty satisfied at how Popeye came out. I'm going to be honest. And I got tons more portable gaming. Yeah. In two weeks. Oh, two I'll weeks. I'll see you there. Two weeks. Yeah, we'll do a bobble. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, portable stick games. You love them. Stick around we'll for the council. from the toilet. Stick around for the council. I'm there. Come on, Cubic. Uh, okay, Mr. Kirky, open up the line. Let's get Larry Ahern on the conch shell. Seattle, Washington. Larry Ahern, welcome to We Talk Games. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Right on. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I can hear you. Okay, very good. Now, finally, finally, We Talk Games. Ralph Bear's been on the show. Noah Bushnell, Trip Hawkins. The show finally has enough cred to pull in some of the talent involved with Blood Wake. <laughs> Was that me? <laughs> yeah, it is you. That is you. But we'll find out about that later. Um, but first, I need to ask you, of course, you uh, came up in during the 90s, I guess, uh, maybe even 1990, I believe you started. Yep. And I just wanted to know how many people said, and I've never asked this of any Larry before, how many people would say, hello, Larry, like that great McLean Stevenson television show you know i actually watched that show and i was really gunning for it i think it lasted all of eight episodes it wasn't very good but i like mclean stevenson he's a great actor but seriously I, I not that i don't love blood wake as as much as the next guy but you were definitely involved with one of my favorite titles in all-time history i think and also one of the coolest games in history which i believe is full throttle uh, I yep. played one of the first games that I, I played on the Mac, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, my eyeballs are ready to fall off. But uh, let's back it up. We've had uh, some of your compatriots, Noah Falstein. We've had uh, Dave Grossman on the show and uh, probably some other people that you've, you've bumped heads with uh, uh -huh. throughout your career. But we always like to find out how you even got interested in video games to begin with. Like, what was it like around the, the crib, out of the crib, Maybe seventy in the 80s. Stone Ages. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I, I see a lot of interviews with uh, other people in the industry, and it seems like so many of them would say, "Oh, you know, my parents bought me my first computer in high school, and I was always programming and dabbling and really hardcore." I, I never did that. I, I mean, honestly, I got into the whole arcade scene when that was the big fad, Pong, and everything else, and. Uh, uh, I don't think my parents actually bought me the home system. I, I think we were late to the game, and after you went over to everybody else's house and played Pong and Breakout a few times and realized that the 10 different games they had were just different colored, different variations of Pong and Breakout, sure. <laughs> I decided, oh, let's save our money. But I, you know, I was a big arcade fanatic and got into Space Invaders and... Galaga and Missile Command and all that kind of stuff. So okay. I was addicted to that kind of thing like any other kid. But then I uh, went off to college and uh, kind of lost track of any of the evolution of things other than what was happening in the arcade. And I, th I think uh, I had a friend who was a programmer in college, probably my senior year. I remember going over to his house and uh, he had some sort of D&D &D type of 
dungeon crawl game and i just remember playing the thing for a while and it was you are the heroic asterisk attacking the ampersand which is actually a dragon you know <laughs> and uh it took a lot of imagination and i actually have an art background i i was getting a degree in fine arts at uh, college so oh, great. that didn't sit so well with me so i i kind of thought oh, okay so that's where game tech is and i don't need to know anything more about that and uh went off and became a freelance illustrator i did a lot of cartooning work i actually did t-shirts and things like that and was just kind of the struggling artist for a few years out of college and i uh Ended up in an illustrators group where I ran into a guy that I found out had been working at uh, Lucasfilm Games was the name of the company back then before they turned into Lucas Arts. Okay. And of course, you know when you talk to him, he's saying, "Oh, I, I work for George Lucas." Oh my gosh! Wow, how do I get a job there doing that? But he was really apologetic because he goes, "Well, it's not really art we're doing because of course back then it was so pixelated and sixteen color and that kind of thing." I think I knew him for a couple of years and I'd always bug him hey what's the latest going on at the ranch you know got to hear all about that oh not much you know he'd always just gripe about his commute because we were living in Sacramento and he was driving down to Marin County which is about two hours and then one day I actually was roommates with another guy who was an illustrator that was uh, better friends with this guy working at LucasArts and one day the phone rang and I answered it and uh, it was the guy from the illustrators group and he goes hey I'm calling for Anson and uh got something really important to tell him uh, some job related stuff and uh uh is he there and i go no he's not here oh cool have him call me back and i'm like hey uh bucky it's me larry what uh, what's this job thing you're talking about uh-huh. and he goes oh oh hey larry i totally forgot you guys were roommates and he goes yeah uh we need to hire some people <laughs> are you interested you bet wow <laughs> at that point I was starving so me and my roommate hopped in a car and drove down there and just totally petrified had our portfolios under our arms and went out to the ranch and uh, got ushered into the art director's office and I remember sitting down there just nervous as heck and the guy takes out the binder of, of each of our portfolios he, he flips through one or two pages and then just kind of does the page flutter thing like you know <laughs> And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, that's the end of this. And then he looks up and he sees both our jaws on the floor and he goes, oh, no, 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 don't worry. I was just seeing if you could draw. You can draw. (laughs) He goes, are you guys interested? He goes, what we'll do is uh, we'll have you do a test. We'll pay you for the day's work. And if it works out, you know, we need to hire some people. So we ended up staying the rest of the day. They paid us to be there. And we got to the end of the day and thought, hey, we're getting paid. Even if we don't get hired, this is awesome. I haven't worked in a couple of weeks, you know. <laughs> anyway, we uh, went uh, off to stay. His, his brother at the time was actually working at ILM. So we went and stayed with his brother overnight. And, and we literally got a call the next morning saying, can you start on Monday? (laughs) This was like Saturday, I think. Like, holy smokes. So we said, of course, you know, and and, and the thing that blew us away was they, um, when we were in the interview, they demoed uh, the first Monkey Island game. And of course, I'm looking at that and I'm comparing it to my exciting ampersand versus asterisk adventure, (laughs) thinking, wow, there's actually art in this and there's animation and there's characters and it's got comedy because I was a cartoonist. And so I think a lot of my expectation was hack and slash D&D overly 
serious dungeon crawling types of games, which uh, wasn't the top of my list of things I wanted to do. Uh, and so anyway, I packed up my stuff and literally moved that next week and was down at LucasArts for 10 years. Wow. And I noticed that you worked on a lot of games that uh, Peter Chan also worked on. Yeah. Um, I think Peter got hired couple of weeks after we did we, okay. we basically were at the ranch for i think it was a month doing our our training session and you know that was brutal it was uh, <laughs> long leisurely lunches in the <laughs> ranch dining room with celebrities and uh, you know just it, it was this crazy environment we're we're getting job training finally getting uh, the first decent paycheck i'd ever had in my life and it was just a complete 180 from my starving artist days and uh, peter came in like a couple weeks later Somebody had recommended him. I think he was straight out of school at uh, the Art Academy in San Francisco. And so he came in, I think, like the last week of our training session. And it was funny because they were, they were teaching him the uh, some of the tech, which is pretty limited at the time. But we were just kind of looking over his shoulder going, oh, my gosh, this guy's amazing. Wow. Yeah, he's, he's uh, one of my favorite video game artists, I believe. Yeah. I know that you, you came with a um, background in fine arts, but uh-huh. what did you start? as an animator or uh, um, I think back in those days everybody was just titled artist okay <laughs> and basically what happened was if you were a senior guy with a lot of experience typically the job that you'd be gunning for would be the background artist and that's primarily because animation was almost non-existent and the characters were like 10-15 pixels tall not much art going on in terms of character design or character animation so everybody typically wanted to be the background artist So, of course, I came in, and uh, I was the young guy, and uh, I wanted to work on the Monkey Island game. They were staffing up for Monkey Island 2, and then a early version of The Dig. This uh, this was one that eventually got shelved before they started it again for the version that shipped. Oh, interesting. Um, And and so, you know, they they were talking to us, interviewing us, which one do you want to work on? And I said, oh, Monkey Island would be perfect for me. I'm a cartoonist. I do comedy. You know, that'd be great. So, of course, they assigned me to The Dig. <laughs> but the dig ended up being a lot of fun because the animation tech they were trying to figure out a way to do some rotoscoping stuff mm-hmm. and they were kind of struggling with that didn't know how to approach it so while they were messing with that ken macklin was the lead artist on the dig doing the backgrounds and he created this amazing alien world all these plants and this architecture of the ancient civilization that you would uncover there and i didn't really have a background in terms of doing full color painted backgrounds but i was a pretty good draftsman Mm -hmm. pretty good at at doing the drawing so i ended up being his assistant and basically doing a lot of the layout drawing so he would create a lot of the concept art and he would do the color paintings of that and i basically kind of looked at at the direction that he set visually for the style of everything and then i was kind of running ahead doing other location layout drawings that would be painted by him or another artist later so it was actually a a fun process and it it was hilarious this was of course in the days before 3d and uh, we were trying to figure out the layout on this uh, ancient city the ruins of this alien city that you would find and it needed to be shown in the game from a couple of different vantage points so 
we were trying to figure out, well, it, you know, if, if this building is, is here compared to that other one in this view, where is it when I'm on the opposite side? So we ended up building this little model of, of the, the city uh, on our lunch break with a bunch of styrofoam cups and toilet paper rolls and different things like that, <laughs> taping things together and trying to figure out, okay, this is this tower here and this is this one over here. And then we could figure out what the whole place looked like because uh, no such thing as 3D programs back then. Everything that I ever hear about LucasArts it just sounds so much like it's part of a documentary. You know, like you would be watching a documentary and then you'd see something like this. Uh-huh. But that's what it was just like. <laughs> Not one of those tired old boring documentaries, but a fun one? Yeah, yeah, a fun, a fun, uh, fun documentary, no doubt. Yeah, it's not uh, yeah. one of these uh, Burns uh, deals here about the right. war or something. No, it was a fun place to work. I, I When I tell people about the experience, I say I had been toying with the idea of going to grad school because coming out of college with a fine arts degree basically means you're unemployable. Mm. <laughs> so the only work I could get was basically because I was a cartoonist and an illustrator, which was something that I had kind of worked worked on on the side and uh, thought, well, I probably, if I want to make a decent living, probably need to go back to like an art college or something and learn graphic design or some kind of reasonable trade that I could get a, a nine to five job doing. And when I finally stumbled into the game job, it wasn't because I had a passion for games. It was just, hey, we want to hire you to do something creative. And I got down there and it, th this was such an early stage for what was happening with games that it, it totally felt like I was going to grad school, but I was getting paid to do it. Gotcha, gotcha. Who are some of your influences in, in graphic arts or in, in uh, cartooning or uh, comic-style sequential arts? Did you like comics at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was big into the, into that cartoon illustration. I mean, I think Calvin and Hobbes was the huge thing back then. I, I loved Bill Watterson. I liked a lot of the editorial cartoonists, too. I was um, editorial cartoonist in my college newspaper, and I had uh, actually dabbled in starting a uh, college humor magazine there with cartoons and comedy articles and that kind of thing. Sort of like a early version of The Onion. <laughs> gotcha, um, gotcha. Let's see. I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, Jeff McNally, I think the guy that did the comic strip Shoe, and he was an editorial cartoonist. I was a fan of his. Uh, I like Gayen Wilson. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He's mm. sort of a newer version of Edward Gorey. You know, kind of, kind of did a lot of macabre-style comics. Okay. Um, I was into animated films. That was the early days of the the Disney Renaissance with all the animated features coming out. So I was always amazed by seeing that stuff. Although I think I was into more of the bizarre stuff. Like Nightmare Before Christmas was a big influence on us. We really liked that quirky style there. Mm. That's interesting that you started to dig back when Monkey Island 2 was just getting uh, started as well. So that's what I was sort of, I was sort of having a hard time figuring out how these release, release dates lined up, full throttle, and the dig came out the same year. Yeah, I think honestly, I think there were three versions of the dig. <laughs> okay. The, the the first one I worked on, I think that went maybe six months there, so that was uh, early 1990, and then it got shelved, and I think somebody else took a stab at it. Actually, I think there might have been four versions. I think somebody took a stab at it briefly for a few months and decided, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so that first version I worked on was was Noah Falstein's version that he okay. designed. And and then that one got shelved. And then the second one, I think Dave Grossman actually worked on, on one briefly. And then the third version was Brian Moriarty's version, which 
that one went a while. I, I don't know if a year or more. And that one was pretty far along. And I, I can't even remember the reasons why that got shelved. Again, it was a it was a difficult project. It seemed mm-hmm. to cause issues with with everyone that tried to tried to do it. And then Sean Clark was the guy that finally came in and basically picked up where Brian left off and said, "All right, you know, let's add this, let's cut this, and let's figure out how to ship it out the door." So gotcha. It was. Uh, it, it's interesting because the the game turned out pretty good. Uh, I mean, I know there's a lot of fans of it. it uh, I'm not a huge fan myself but that's primarily because i just like the comedy games better uh-huh, sure, but gotcha. you know it, it was a well-received title and uh it, it's weird because if you talk to people internally a lot of times people might have negative things to say about it it's mostly because it just stumbled and fell so many times that it kind of got tainted internally you know that staff even the new people would come in and it's like well we could put you on this or we could put you on the dig and they're like no we've heard stories about the dig i don't want to be on that <laughs> And, and I think it's just mostly because they heard it keeps getting canceled. <laughs> uh-huh. so, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, it's really a piece of sci-fi. I mean, it, yeah. it, through and through. Now, I, I notice in the, the intro titles, it says based on uh, something by Spielberg. Yeah, and that, and that was a big reason why it kept stumbling and falling and getting back up again. Because <laughs> okay. the marketing people look at that and they go, but this is the game that's called The Dig from an, a concept by Steven Spielberg, published by George Lucas's company. We can't let this die. Yeah. You know? So they kept saying, you know, somebody's going to figure out how to do it. So apparently it was, um, and I'm probably not the most qualified person to talk about this. I'm sure you'll get hate mail from somebody that worked on the project saying, Larry's wrong. But um, I'll attempt to talk a little bit about it and just give you that disclaimer. Uh, I think the idea was basically Spielberg was a gamer and uh, would play a lot of the other LucasArts games and uh, call for hints and stuff like that. And I think at one point he was down at the ranch and had a meeting with somebody and I think some senior guys, it might have been actually Noah and uh, George got to meet with him and anyway I think he was tossing around an idea and I actually think it was a concept he had said that he had for the Amazing Stories TV show or or some other film concept like that and said basically I don't have the technology to do this as as a piece of filmed entertainment but it could be a cool game so i think at that point they said yeah let's run with it and we can put your name on the box and sell a zillion copies <laughs> well it definitely is a different gaming experience uh, especially put up to full throttle which i i brushed up on both of those before uh, we had you on here i've i've been full throttle's just been something i've been playing i think since it came out <laughs> and never really trying to wanting to finish it but i i did get through it uh, recently so Uh, I just, uh, that is such a cool game. Uh, Such a cool, cool game. But before that, you were involved with, I think, more mainstream uh, console stuff. Uh, Well, at Lucas, I worked on uh, The Dig briefly. When that got shelved, I I shifted over to Monkey Island 2. So I did get to work on that. I did a bunch of the Guybrush and LeChuck animations. And then uh, the next project I went on to was Day of the Tentacle. Uh, and I worked on Day of the Tentacle, and then uh, briefly, I think I did a couple of months on Sam and Max, designed a bunch of secondary characters and did some animation. And th- then after that, I uh, went on to Full Throttle. So Okay. Um, and, I, and actually, I did a bonus level 
bit of artwork for uh, the Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Yeah. That might have been in there before that. I'm trying to remember now. That was actually one of the funnest projects I did back then because it was literally, they had given the assignment to a couple of different people because what the bonus level was basically, hey, you get to run around and shoot uh, zombies and monsters in a level that looks like our office. And so we want to have caricatures of everybody that worked on the game. Oh. But it's just like, you know, eight by eight pixel faces. Sure. <laughs> and, and so they're like, we, we can't figure out how to do this. None of these caricatures look like the people. So they said, do you want to take a stab at it? And I struggled with it for like, half a day just thinking this is impossible and then I finally figured out some tricks on how to do it and then was off and running and and just had a blast got to do caricatures of like 40 different people that worked on the game and uh so I think that was literally like two days work and then I did uh I did a Millennium Falcon texture for uh, one of the Star Wars SNES games. Okay, so that's how you got your credits on Super Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. You were mentioning console games, and I'm thinking, well, you must be thinking of some, somebody else. But <laughs> no, I guess that, that was probably a total of one week's worth of work. I see. You know, how about uh, the Star Wars, <laughs> uh, Star Wars Rebel Assault? I think that was a day's work. That was some rotoscoping. Mm. A lot of times you'd get handed some projects. Uh, between gigs and I think I was waiting for some official green light on full throttle or day of the tentacle or something in there and they're like hey can you can you paint over the this uh, photo reference of Bob sitting in the the uh, X-Wing cockpit for us right uh, right three frames of him nodding his head and blinking his eyes and that's what we'll use for animation <laughs> right that's before they started doing a digitization so you actually put the actors yeah. on popsicle I mean, I sticks and a lot a lot of that was all photo photo based but uh, it was just so horribly pixelated and then degraded you know when you had to crunch the palette down sure that it was just it was a mess and so you had to paint over it to, to make it look like anything gotcha okay great well did you ever play it on a sega cd I, yeah i don't think i did <laughs> it's like watching two pixels fight each other it's amazing it's amazing so it really loses everything but then you yeah. went on to sam and max hit the road you were involved with in uh, maniac mansion day of the tentacle yeah see i think sam and max came after day of the tentacle and before full throttle i think i think it was like a couple of months probably two or three months that i worked on sam and max and again it was one of those things where tim schaefer was getting the final go ahead for bringing a team on on full throttle and he was he had done his uh game pitch and and stuff like that and i think he was waiting for approval so i i was kind of chomping at the bit and they said well while you're waiting you should help us animate on sam and max and it actually was a heck of a lot of fun because uh steve purcell who created the sam and max comics and and had licensed the characters to lucas arts was in the studio working on the game at the time and so he pulled a bunch of us in to work on it and he gave me some different sections and he basically said after after seeing my work on day of the tentacle where i designed all the characters there he basically said why don't you just handle a bunch of these secondary characters the the story revolved around uh, um, tour around a bunch of crazy roadside attractions so all of these uh, proprietors that for the different places like the largest ball of twine and the 
the mystery spot and all these different goofy attractions basically needed a character that was running the gift shop or whatever. We had Gator Golf, which was like a mini golf in the swamps of Louisiana. So I got to basically design all these goofy characters and, and do their basic animations. So. Oh, great. That was a lot of fun. And then I had I had a handful of Sam and Max animations that were some full screen things, which uh, that was always interesting because it, it, the tech was pretty limited. So it was, you know, you can have like 30% of the screen moving at one time, but never more than that. I see. <laughs> you I always see. had to plan your animation to figure out how do I make it look like it's this in your face thing, but there's never more than like 30% of the screen full of pixels moving at once. <laughs> That's something I always wonder. Do the, do the people working on the cut scenes also do any of the character animation during the regular game? Yeah, back then we did. We did it all. So nowadays it's probably very, very segmented, very different kind of stuff because I, there's a lot of issues now with in-game animation where there's so much complexity in terms of how you put together a character to make it work for the interactive scenes, whereas the FMV cutscene stuff is just pretty much like a film. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times they'll either have a separate cutscene department or they'll farm it out to a totally different studio because they don't need to understand the game to know how to do the cutscene. Right, right. Were there ever tween, like, did you ever have tween artists uh, back in the early days of uh, animated video games? Not, not in the early days, but okay. when we got um, onto the uh, third Monkey Island game, Curse of Monkey Island, that I co-project leader on, we pretty much had a full animation staff going there. We had wow. cleanup artists, which is basically that thing, because the, the main animators would do the rough animations and... Uh, I think we only had one guy that was doing cleanup, but it was basically, you know, because it would take you half a day or, or, or a day, you know, just for a couple of frames to take the sketchy drawing and make the lines perfect. Sure. So you ended up getting a junior person to do that kind of work. And we had a digital ink and paint system. And uh, at one point, I think we had like four people running that where they're scanning the uh pencil uh, animation drawings scanning it into the system cleaning it up darkening the lines uh, and basically coloring the lines and filling in the flat color of the characters so it was like a animation studio i mean curse of monkey island had i think something like 17 minutes of just cutscene animation alone mm. pretty big production well, one thing I know that came off just as I really am playing an animated film here, and that was Full Throttle. I, I talk about this this game quite a bit. Uh, it's just so cool. Such a cool art style, great music. Yeah, uh, And really comes off as... You know, I, you always want to say, "I want to play a cartoon one day," and then you, you do yeah. the you do the Don Blue things, and you know, it's point point in one direction and and go. Which there's nothing wrong with. Listen, I love Laserdisc games, and uh, and if you want they're to talk, li- they're limited interactivity. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But this one, uh, this one was really something special uh, when I when I first saw this, and even now when I play it today, it still stands up. Can you tell us a little bit about everything you know about Full Throttle? Because I'm really <laughs> interested in this one. Well, it was funny because uh, I, had, I had worked on Day of the Tentacle, uh, you know, with Tim Schafer, Dave Grossman, and we had a blast. I mean, the concept on that one was let's make a game that's just crazy, like a mm. Looney Tunes cartoon. 
and it had a, a very unique style for a video game at the time. It was really not your average D&D game, which seems mm-hmm. so many of them were, and uh, we were dealing with the technical limitations of 18-pixel height characters by, you know, I, I sat down and said, well, if we can't get any facial expressions on these characters that are that small, why don't I just give them bigger heads? <laughs> so that kind of solved that problem. It's like, oh, we can see the whites of their eyes and everything. So that was fun. But by the time we got to the end of that project, it was like, I don't want to see another anvil drop on somebody's <laughs> head. You know, <laughs> I'm done with the crazy slapstick. So I, I think it was a, a reaction to that. And Tim was brainstorming ideas. And he's like, I want to go totally different direction. And of course, the style, we, we still liked comedy, but didn't want to go total slapstick. So he, he came up with this concept. I think somebody had told him some story about, uh, you know, hanging out with bikers. And he thought, yeah, that'd be cool. Maybe some futuristic biker game concept. And he wrote up his his pitch, I think is a couple pages long. You pitch it to the president and, and senior project leaders and kind of get the go ahead. And uh, so he had told the idea to me and Peter and, and told us to start brainstorming. So we were doing sketches and, and, and we'd sort of talked conceptually about what the world would be like. And we, we wanted it to have more of a comic book feel. So we were looking at things like uh, Hellboy, stuff by Mike Mignola and, and things with, with very graphic blacks and and a very Mm. graphic visual style Uh, so peter was definitely pushing that if you look at all the shadows in the world in full throttle they all go to pure black almost as if it's an ink drawing with color so that was the style that he looked at for that and i had been kind of looking at exaggerated character shapes i think schwarzenegger last action hero Uh terrible movie (laughs) but the the film within the film Uh when the kid goes into the world of schwarzenegger's movie yeah i just loved how over the top that was with the car chases and the the bullets flying it was like you know the logic of that world was well of course I can drive along here with the top down on my convertible while guys are spraying me with machine gun bullets and I won't get hit. Of course, that's just how it works. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love that kind of style and we were, we were trying to kind of look at the characters that way as just completely over the top, a little bit tongue in cheek. I mean, they play it straight, but there's just a humor in just how over the top this world was. We had the, the crazy stunt motorcycle rider and we just figured every kind of scenario Ben's got to get out of it by just doing some insane kind of action stunt. So we kind of thought that's that's where we're going to get the comedy. But we wanted him to be totally straight, you know, this grizzled sure. Clint Eastwood type of character. So we were playing around with character designs and developing the world. And it was fun because uh, on Day of the Tentacle, I got to do a bunch of creative work, but it, w- it was mostly like kind of filling in the holes because um, Tim and David actually worked on the story and, di- and design with uh, Ron Gilbert and, and Gary Winnick because they were designers of the first Maniac Mansion. So by the time I got onto that project, that part was done. So they'd give me an assignment, but thankfully it would be something like, okay, Bernard needs to get the hamster from the thing. And and they wouldn't define, you know, he's going to slip on a banana peel and land on his head and, you know, his brain will slide across the floor or whatever. They, they didn't tell me that's what had to happen. So I had a lot of leeway there in, in figuring out what kind of crazy visual gags to do. But I still felt like, boy, I'd love to be involved with more of the story and design stuff. 
So what was great was at the beginning of Throttle, because Tim had previously worked with Ron and Dave on all these other projects, and then suddenly he's the sole project leader, I think he realized, oh boy, it, it's a lot more fun to bounce ideas off of someone and have someone to collaborate with. So I ended up getting to work on design and story with him over the course of a month or two or however long it was. We just brainstormed up all the crazy ideas for the story and characters and design. So a, a lot of my role was just come up with crazy ideas, help to problem solve, and then he kind of took all the stuff that we came up with in those sessions and would go off and write it up and try to put more detailed puzzle structure into it and then come back the next day and it's like, okay, here's the big gaping holes in it. What are we going to do about this? You know, this part doesn't seem cool enough. So that was really fun. That was my first introduction to conceiving of a world and coming up with a design and a story. And uh, it was a blast. I love how the most evil thing that could possibly happen would be for motorcycles to be replaced by minivans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was something that Tim was pushing early on it's like you know this is it's got to be the antithesis of the cool biker that that is is what represents rip burger you know it's like he wants to make the horrible minivans because i think that was back in the days of the of the chrysler k car and the early minivans and these just lifeless sure. <laughs> vehicles so uh the other thing that we were looking at and it, it, it's funny because in retrospect look back now and I think we had just like four or five animators, you know, the art team, two guys doing backgrounds, maybe three at one point, and, you know, five or six people animating and a couple of art techs, but it was such a small team, and our, our goal was we want it to feel like an interactive animated show or movie, and and so, you know, compared to the previous games which just had the occasional cutscene for impact this was no there needs to be a full-on visual story going on uh, all around the interaction and and so that was our goal and of course as we started storyboarding this stuff we looked at it and we're like man that's just a ton of work but we started with that plan and then we just kind of scaled back the complexity of the shots we were going to do and we decided that the way we would be able to pull it off is by just doing a lot of simple shots and a lot of cuts. So no one shot was going to have very much elaborate animation happening in it. So you, would, you wouldn't end up having a scene that was going to take an animator two weeks to animate. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we'd have a lot of scenes and hopefully it would tell the visual story we wanted by the way we juxtaposed and cut between it. So the shots were all animated and they all had full animation going on. They just barely were on screen very long before you cut to the next one. You know, So we just tried to figure out all these time-saving tricks so we get this you know, full visual story happening without getting bogged down in an insane amount of animation. What about the uh, 3D elements that are happening throughout it as well, like the motorcycles and the cars? Yeah, that was that was awesome. We would not have been able to do the game without that. And, and that was something that we conceived of early on. Some of the other projects, like you mentioned with the uh, Rebel Assault and stuff, mm -hmm. that people had been dabbling with 3D and talking about, well, you know, obviously you can use that as reference, you can paint over it. Our, our biggest concern was 
how much work was it going to take to make the 3D fit visually with the 2D style? And, yeah. and I was really concerned about that because we had seen other tests where I just thought it feels like two different worlds being mashed together and it doesn't work. Yeah. So we ended up doing some tests. Rich Green was our, our lead 3D guy. And I just said, you've got to find a way to make your 3D stuff look like it's flat color. And he ended up just crunching the palette down and figuring out some lighting tricks and whatever so that it just totally had that flat color look. And he even ended up putting a uh, placeholder 3D model of Ben on the motorcycle. So all our motorcycle scenes were done 3D, and then we would paint over the 3D Ben with okay. the 2D Ben. But we could keep the bike the same because it was flat color. It was simple enough that it, it felt like it fit in the world. I pointed that out quite a lot <laughs> when uh, when 3D is uh, is mashed into pixels and it doesn't work, but it, it all works uh, quite well, I think. Yeah, um, and we we've got the the trucks and the the airplane and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and it feels like I think it, it fits with the world. And there's no way we could have done that in 2D. Yeah, it would have taken quite a long time. All right, so what was towards the end of the Lucas Arts uh, work there? <laughs> What happened at the end? Uh, <laughs> things got ugly. Uh, it was interesting. It was a, definitely a transition period in the games business anyway. Mm. I think, you know, the adventure games were kind of uh, fading out. I think um, Grim Fandango was kind of the last big hurrah. I mean, I guess we had Monkey Island 3 that went to full 3D, but it definitely was not the direction things were going. I, I ended up working on an early version of a sequel to Full Throttle. And that was one of the last projects I worked on. But it, it, the environment at Lucas then was just pretty chaotic. There was, hmm. it was a lot bigger company. There was a lot of new things happening, things they were trying to do that we hadn't done before. And uh, there was a re- revolving door in the president's office. So gotcha. <laughs> it seemed like we were constantly getting new management in there and changing direction. So, uh, and then nobody knows what there, you do. Yeah, for a while there, I think I was working on something and didn't even have a boss that was looking at what I was doing. And then I got some new boss in there that was complaining, wanting to know why I wasn't finished with it. And it's like, but... I haven't even had any feedback or any people assigned to my team. <laughs> so it was just kind of a not a, a environment conducive to getting stuff done. A, a lot of stuff that was in progress was getting the support it needed to be finished, and then stuff that wasn't started yet, like mine, was just constantly being delayed. So I think I finally had a manager that came in that was criticizing all the stuff I had done. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. You guys ignore me for four months and then you're critical of everything I've done. You know, it's like, so I actually had a blast working on the full throttle sequel. And I think it would have been a cool project, but for whatever reason, the management wanted something else. And then they did a, another version of it, which they canceled. So I don't think they knew what they wanted. <laughs> yeah. I remember, uh, uh, there were, um, trailers, I guess, even back then, but I, yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about it. So it, it never came came out is that what happened yeah I yeah see, there, um you know i i worked on a version for i don't know three or four months i think did did some prototyping tests and 3d models of ben and uh did story and design work on it quite a bit of work actually uh and then had the run-in with management and i ended up leaving and i don't know you know a couple months later i think they started up uh, a variation of it i don't know I, I never saw it basically other than the trailer but uh i think maybe some of my ideas 
ended up in that, but who knows how much. Right. Um, apparently that project got pretty far along and then they canceled it. And I'm not exactly sure what the reasons were because I was long gone by that point. Gotcha. Just one quick question about the ranch. Uh, did you ever remember seeing any pinball tables around there? Oh, gosh. I think we had... I'm trying to remember if we had pinball tables. I think I know we had some arcade games or something yeah, in, yeah. in the uh, gatehouse there where the games group was. I'm not sure if there was pinball. Or yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't think there would have been, see? Because uh, I don't know how much George came in there, but uh, have, had he ever expressed to you his hate of pinball? Oh, no. I hadn't okay. heard that before. Hmm. hmm. Very interesting. Of course, he keeps it to himself, and then it all bubbles up, and then whammo! kills pinball <laughs> all right but before i get uh, too sidetracked uh, so you're out of lucas and now what happens panic sets in <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no i think that was a weird experience for me because uh working at lucas was it, pretty much my first real job i mean i think i had had some job i, I worked in screen printing t-shirts and some other stuff like that but mm. it didn't feel like a real grown-up job and then i was there for 10 years and uh hmm. you know then suddenly you're in this industry and it's like whoa adventure games are dying out and things are changing and uh, the company's not doing stuff i want to do anymore where do i go i started interviewing i my wife was pregnant with her second child wow. <laughs> two-year-old at home and it was kind of nuts i ended up doing kind of a whirlwind uh, interview process and it was interesting i had a job offer in san francisco for a company that i was interested in but i thought it was just going to be a, a murderous commute then i had a last minute interview at microsoft i had talked to them like a week or two earlier they sounded interested, and then I never heard back from them. And then I was about to accept the offer from the San Francisco company, and then I get this recruiter that called me back saying, hey, but what about uh, Microsoft? And I go, well, I never heard from them. They didn't sound interested. Oh, oh, well, uh, if you can fly up here tomorrow, uh, you know, would, would you hold off on accepting the other job offer? And I said, well, yeah, I guess. So they flew me up and <laughs> wow. in the hotel, and I was literally – on the phone negotiating my deal with the San Francisco company the morning of the Microsoft interview and I was like half an hour late for the Microsoft interview because I thought no the San Francisco deal is coming together and I, I can't blow that and and then I finally rush out of there and head to the to the Microsoft thing and thankfully because Microsoft is this mega company has so many layers of red tape and bureaucracy, I didn't end up actually being late for the interview with the real person that was going to hire me. I was late for the pre-HR, you know, interview, and the HR guy just said, oh, don't worry about it. Just jump in the car, and we'll go now. Wow. <laughs> so apparently, they were going to make me sit around for 45 minutes in their office, and the guy was going to tell me some, you know, random stuff about working at Microsoft, which wasn't critical. And uh, so we hopped in the car, went off to the game studio, did a quick portfolio review. They told me that they were making a bunch of cool new Xbox games. They wanted to do a bunch of creative new stuff. They had just signed a publishing deal with Tim Schafer, who I had worked with on multiple games mm -hmm. at Lucas. And I thought, man, this is great. This sounds like the kind of deal that we had at LucasArts, which is a high-profile company, deep pockets, willing to spend some money, but wants to support creative, cool new stuff. Mm -hmm. I thought, that's what I want to do. So I came in there and they said, well, we need a publishing art director. And I thought, well, man, I want to work hands-on, 
but I was a little concerned because I thought, well, okay, everything's going to 3D. I'm not working hands-on in 3D. I'd have to ramp up anyway, so maybe that's a good place for me to be. I can kind of dabble and learn the new tech, kind of see how things are going, give my my visual design feedback, you know, kind of overseeing some projects. And that's when they said, hey, we're working on Blood Wake, you know, play it, have a look at it, give some feedback, do whatever. And uh, it was just kind of chaotic. We moved up to Seattle, worked on Blood Wake, tried to figure out what the heck was going on. And literally like three months later, Microsoft reorg the studio I was in and my job disappeared. <laughs> and they're like, hey, we did a reorg and you know what? We're not going to be publishing anything in this studio anymore. And wow. it was weird because at the time that studio was actually making Flight Sim yeah. and then they were making all these Xbox games. And this one thing had nothing to do with the other and they were publishing stuff and it made no sense. So reorging made sense, but reorging me out of a job didn't. <laughs> oh, that's sad. So and, you, uh, were, you weren't able to continue on with anything that they had going on there? I wasn't working on any of the stuff I had started on, but I'd only been there a couple of months. They ended up reassigning me to a uh, alternate reality game. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those ARGs. Sure, sure. And actually, it was probably one of the coolest projects I worked on it at hmm. Microsoft. The problem was, is I probably wasn't a good fit for the role that I was supposed to fill on the project. But I think it was like, hey, we just paid a lot of money to move this guy up and hired him and he's been here four months literally and now we can't just lay him off so let's make him art director on this project so it was a really cool project the problem was it was primarily they needed a graphic designer web designer kind of guy mm. i don't know the first thing about that i mean i think i have a good graphic design sensibility but i'm not a working graphic designer i don't know web tech web page design so I, I basically was supervising a team of people and I was trying to do the visual creative ideas side of it and tried to help out with the concept design ideas for the for the whole game because I thought it was so cool and at least, you know, hope by proving my value by being a smart creative guy <laughs> that they might overlook uh, my shortcomings on the art director side and uh, it ended up being an interesting project but I think that was probably the highlight of my stay at Microsoft and I was there almost five and a half years and wow. basically stumbled from uh, project to project just constantly getting on different projects that were shelved or being in studios that were reorged or whatever so it wasn't the most smooth sailing the end of the day I was uh, I ended up on, working on flight sim there not because I had a passion to be doing that but I was in search of stability sure sure <laughs> uh, ironically thinking if I go to that studio you know I'll get a stable job I'll get to really sit down, sink my teeth into something, learn a little bit more about this new genre, and get all the way through a, a product and ship it, get it on the shelves, because it had been a couple of years. It was getting crazy. Hmm. So I get into the studio. The first thing they do is they assign me to train sim, and then they cancel that a couple months later. Then they bump me over to combat flight sim, <laughs> and then cancel that. And I'm like, stop! Wow. They finally put me on flight sim, and that shipped. But by that point, I was already already planning my escape <laughs> gotcha gotcha so what was next then start well your own company? Um, as, as i was working in the simulation studio realizing it was about as far from my sensibilities as i should be and and just you know knowing that i need to be working on something with story with comedy something with characters it just got to the point where i realized okay i've got a job to pay the bills but 
I'm not doing what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to do is get out there and start job interviewing and just sidestep into another job somewhere else that may be a little closer to what I like, but not really what I want to be doing. So at that point, I hooked up with uh, Mike Levine, who was a guy I knew from LucasArts, and he had started his own company. He was doing a lot of service projects and uh, internet animation, things like that. And he had been bugging me saying, man, we should do an original game. And so we started brainstorming ideas and just said, if we're going to do this, let's do the kind of project that we're really excited about doing. Even though we know it may not be the most marketable thing or whatever, you know, we'd rather do something that we're excited about. Mm -hmm. We ended up, gosh, I think we ended up brainstorming the idea for insecticide and, and a couple of other things that we had been batting around probably over the course of like a year and a half, two years. We'd started out coming up with the idea, thought, well, maybe we should make it into a comic book. That would be an easier way to sell it as a, as a concept. To, uh, maybe we should make a short film. You know, just trying to figure out how do we really put this idea together in a way that's presentable that people can look at and say, that's cool. You know, we should make a game of that or we should make that into an animated film or a TV show. We just wanted to create our own IP and make a game out of it would be part of the process. We thought, well, if we could get someone to publish it and just pay us to make a game, that'd be cool. We didn't expect that it would be a huge hit game, but we were hoping that the the concept for the world and the characters and the story would be interesting enough that maybe we could roll it into a TV show or a movie or something else and that it would have legs beyond that. And we ended up shopping it around to some publishers and pitching here and there, but we were getting a lot of the response that we expected, which is, hey, this is really bizarre and cool and interesting, but I don't think this is what our market's looking for. You know, our audience doesn't go for this, you know, if you had space marines and whatever, you know, (laughs) dragons and swords, you know, that. Mini games. We could sell that. And we knew that, but, you know, we just figured we'll keep talking to people and somebody eventually will will be interested and finally uh gamecock which was a new indie publisher was founded and somebody put us in touch with them and they said yeah we're looking to do some bizarre weird things and and uh show us what you got it was kind of an odd setup they were definitely a quirky publisher they didn't last very long either (laughs) which is probably not a surprise but uh the great thing was they supported our idea and they said you know you guys are the creative visionaries behind it we like what we see go do your thing so i i literally was getting ready to quit microsoft we we had our deal together we were signing the contract and then as the money we started talking about money the whole budget stuff came in and we started crunching the numbers and looking at it and i suddenly realized oh man after all this I can't afford to pay me enough to quit my job at Microsoft. (laughs) And I I literally thought I was going to have to pass on the deal. And then like a couple of days later, a buddy of mine who is working at a a large media company that does animated films and theme parks, which I I don't believe I'm supposed to name, called me up and basically said, hey, I'm doing an interactive attraction at the theme park that is uh, based on adventure game gameplay, and I really need someone to come help me design and write it. Are you interested? And I said, I just signed a publishing deal for a video game, and I want to do that, but I can't do that. And he goes, well, you could come and work you know, part-time on this. 
I'm like, awesome, perfect. So basically I took both jobs and uh, worked for that company on the theme park thing, probably 20 to 30 hours a week. And then I thought I was gonna do like another 20 to 30 on insecticide, but it was probably, you know, 40 or 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so basically working around the clock. Had a crazy year and a half working on both of those projects. And insecticide, uh, probably not a lot of people know about this title. No, it was, uh, you know, came and went pretty quickly. It was an obscure title. It was, part of it was Gamecock, the publisher, was a pretty small indie publisher. They did some pretty good PR for it at the time, but it still wasn't a high-profile title. We basically made a DS version of the game and a PC downloadable. So okay. um, the, the PC version was more the definitive version, but it was online, and a lot of the distribution setup wasn't great. They did more marketing, I think, around the, the DS version, but uh, it, it was tough because our original pitch for the game was it was going to be a PSP and PC downloadable title, the idea uh-huh. being that the high end that you could do on the PSP would be what you'd see on the PC. And then after we got a couple months into development, they basically came back and said, our distributors don't want a PSP title. We're going to have to cut that part of the deal. And we said, well, then the whole thing's going to fall apart if we can't do the two different versions, you know, because we need that budget to kind of spread across all the things that are in both versions. And so they said, well, what else do you want to do? And and at that point, we're like, well, how about a DS game? You know, so that kept things rolling. But the problem was the DS version it was a separate product, you know, it was, it was so different. We, and we, we had the core concept in terms of uh, level progression and, and the story was the same and everything. Uh, the adventure game gameplay sequences were the same, but so much else in the action game had to just be done totally different. None of the assets could be shared between the two mm. projects. So, uh, we went from making one game to two games, basically. I see. <laughs> and I then see. the PC title that um, we we had to break it into two different episodes because of download size. We got episode one out and shipped, and we were halfway through production on episode two, and uh, the publisher went out of business. So, uh. unfortunately, the entire version of the PC insecticide is not available only part one i see i see well you definitely did create an interesting ip there's no doubt about that it's 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 very complex and and uh i've i've been in similar situations of course not with video games but more with music where sometimes my ideas need a bigger publishing house behind them and yet no one wants to take that chance yeah, on, it's uh, something and, and, interesting. and honestly, a lot of our thinking was if, if we could find a way to do something with the IP and other media, you know, I, if, if you came into the video game industry and pitched uh, a game concept like SpongeBob, if there wasn't a TV show of it, mm-hmm. nobody would make a game on that concept. Sure. But of course, it's a hit show and, and they'd love to jump on and make a video game. And so our, our thinking was, OK, Insecticide is just a weird title for the games business. Let's see if we can sell it as a comic book or a TV show or a film or something. And honestly, we're still, you know, we get connections now and then, and we pitch the idea. I still think it has potential. I'd love to see it go somewhere beyond the, the video game, because I think yeah. it's a cool IP, and I'm, I'm very proud of the work that we did on it. And 
even even as a game, I'm I'm proud of a lot of the stuff in the game. There there are a lot of shortcomings. Uh, you know, in any of the criticisms that I've seen in the reviews, I wouldn't say they're 100% wrong. You know, they they got a valid point. A lot of that stuff is just the trade-offs that you make with your limited budget and your limited team, your limited time. The game that we pitched when we first got the publishing deal and thought the budget was going to be bigger and we could do a lot more things, I still think would have been amazing. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people criticized the fact that we had a segmented gameplay where we alternated levels between pure adventure game gameplay and action platformer gameplay. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the original plan. A lot of the things got cut back, you know, based on the limitations we were facing. So you do the best you can with, with what you got and uh, still think there's a lot of great stuff in that game. And I'd love to do more with the IP. Right on. Well, I hope to see something out of that. It's, it's definitely, I've been, I don't know why I've been watching a lot of, uh, oh, like, uh, heavy metal and uh, rock and roll and uh, cool world and those yeah. type of environments and i think this this is right on par with uh, with the best of those so thanks hopefully something will come of that uh, now what, what type of systems do you play now do you play any game systems you know it's uh, it's interesting i refer to my kids as my research department <laughs> because they play so much more than i do i got a 12 year old son and uh what do we have we have a wii and ds dsi we've got the xbox 360 so we got all the systems going here and, and usually what happens is i i grab the controller from one of the kids and dabble around in a game a little bit just to see what it's about but unfortunately i just don't get the time that i i would like or that i used to to play games to sit down and actually play something start to finish so a lot of times i'll bug my kid you know what's what's your favorite now you know let me come up and watch you play it for a little bit mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and I'll, I'll do that kind of thing he just we just had christmas and his birthdays in january so i think he got five or six games and i'm kind of checking those out when i can do you think there's any interesting directions that you've heard about or read about or think might be an interesting uh, concept for you to pursue as a, as a creator, as an artist? Well, you know, I got to say, I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about the indie scene, about things like Xbox Live Arcade, all the, all the online uh, venues. The, the thing was, you know, as we started doing Insecticide, that stuff was starting out. We have Steam and things like that. So mm -hmm. we, we know that's coming. And it seems like Xbox Live Arcade, PlayStation Network, we, we wear all that kind of stuff, as well as uh, the App Store for uh, the iPad, mm -hmm. the iPod. Yeah. Uh, iPhone, all that stuff. There's this whole new environment for games that's looking very interesting. And, and when it comes to the casual side or the app side, I'm not all that interested in the little Twitch games. You know, obviously there's a, a casual market of, of gamers that like that. I, I do like the games with more depth and more, more story and character to them. But it, it seems like a lot of that stuff, there's a viable market for that stuff too. So I, I'm just encouraged by seeing different delivery platforms and different price points because I think that's the way you're going to see some creativity. Um, 
people doing independent smaller projects, you, you start to see some really creative, interesting stuff. So I, th- I think the trick is figuring out, you know, what can you do at a reasonable budget like that that you can get a return on your investment and uh, do something exciting enough for you, but with a small enough team, you know, and, and not feel like you're hamstrung. You know, hey, sure. this will work because we've kept it limited, but we've still got the character. We're going to spend nine months on it or a year or whatever and sell it for 10, 20 bucks instead of 60. That's encouraging because I think we're going to see a lot more creativity. And, and you are seeing that in the awards these days on the indie scene and that kind of stuff. So for me, it's just how do I kind of get back into that? It's, it's funny because I, Insecticide was my last project. I've done some freelance work helping other people out on projects, but uh, haven't really done a, a production myself since Insecticide. And be interesting to get back in there. You know, we talked about the iPad as a uh, potential platform. And uh, mm-hmm. what's interesting there is it more of a casual audience. Maybe you could do something more story-based that they would be into in a way that the core gamers have left the, the adventure game market, um, you know, and you're seeing that kind of stuff with companies like Telltale, you know, they're right, right. They're on the iOS system. So interesting things happening there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the text-based adventure games sort of went the way of the Dodo because it was, uh, it, the time changed. It's just as, just as genres go up and down, up and down, like, you know, um, a sine wave. And it was just its time, I guess, there was not a lot of replay value. There weren't a lot of branching pathways that, that occurred. So the yeah. replay just went down. But the iPad is just such a perfect platform, I think, for a return, a resurgence of, of these type of uh, adventures titles because a lot of people don't put a lot of time into each gaming session although with the ipad it's it's a lot longer than it was with the ipod that's for sure yeah Um, yeah I'm curious to look into that. I mean, I've been so busy with my uh, theme park projects that I haven't spent much time looking into that. But I think that's the limitation with the iPhone is people are not typically going to spend a long, uh, you know, they're not going to sit down for a long session with the phone. At some point, it's like, I want more of a Twitch game. I want to play it for 15 minutes or max, and then I'm done. Whereas the the iPad, that's big enough that you can sit there on the couch and really settle in Mm -hmm. and enjoy it. I mean, it's interesting seeing things like the the comic book apps, like the Marvel comic app on the iPad. That's gorgeous. And I can see you can sit there and read through a bunch of those it's a really nice format and uh it seems like adventure games and or or something comparable that has that depth of story and character you know would go well on the platform so i'm curious to see where that goes right on larry Hearn. please keep us abreast of uh anything you're involved with and when you can talk about things we'd love to hear about them as well uh, great maybe we have to get some presidents and and uh all the president's men and women's on this line uh to make that happen but maybe in the future we'll hear from you and find yeah. out what's going on yeah yeah definitely well thanks for having me i appreciate it take care larry thank you for joining us all righty bye-bye bye I'm so glad we were finally able to get Larry Ahern on. Hey, uh, Mr. Gerke, let's get Johnny Capcom on. Go! Go away! Johnny Capcom, go! Okay, well, I'll go straight into uh, GoldenEye for the uh, Nintendo Wii, which I was supposed to talk about a while ago, but, you know, get lost in the shuffle of the brand and stuff. Have you played GoldenEye on the N64 Wii? 
I did. I wasn't the big, big fan of it. Number one, I always considered the N64 to be a muddy mess. Uh, <laughs> I sort of was never an, an N64 fan, but all my, all my friends loved it and they clamored about it. And definitely, if you had friends, it was a great game. The special thing for me was I didn't get an N64 when it came out. I got a PlayStation the year. It was obviously, that, those were two big systems with yep. the Saturn at third. But uh, I remember when I was getting my PlayStation, I think it was Christmas in 97, and that was when Goldeneye was coming out. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to get my PlayStation, and uh, I'm going to play Alien Trilogy and Tekken and stuff. And I was like, and I don't care about that in 64. And then I saw the ads for Goldeneye, and I was like, oh, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so it wasn't only a few years later that I got to actually own I do dig it. I think it's a cool game, and uh, I played it, obviously. I played the multiplayer and all that kind of stuff. The new one with uh, Daniel Craig came out there uh, not too long ago, and I decided to pick it up. It's a lot of fun. I'm not a shooter guy, not a first-person shooter guy, mm -hmm. but uh, this one, uh, just because it was connected to the old stuff and all that, I decided to give it a shot, and they were, they were talking about the multiplayer a lot on it. I did do that a little bit, but uh, I will say the, the actual game itself, the, the real part of the game, as far as I'm concerned, the story mode and all that, it looks great for the system it's on. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. As it is action packed, you're in there, and it's it really feels like you're going up against uh, skilled enemies, so to speak. And uh, the thing I like about it as well is it's not very realistic. When someone gets shot in real life, they just kind of collapse into a hunk of meat. Mm -hmm. But in this, you shoot a guy and he'll jump ten foot or whatever because <laughs> you're shooting stone men basically. I see. It looks like a James Bond film should, you know. The music's cool. Uh, the thing I like about movies and games and stuff is they bring music to you that you wouldn't necessarily listen to in the first place. Like, yeah. Sure. And uh, so there's that nightclub scene, and uh, there's a track playing, in it and I couldn't get out of my head for a couple of days. I can't even remember it, but uh, it's very. If you've played it, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's uh, it's pretty badass, and, and it's weird because the film. If you're familiar with the film, you'll be surprised by the way certain people look. Like Robbie Coltrane, for instance, in the in the film, was quite a hefty gentleman, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Star of such TV shows as Cracker, and he's in those Harry Potter movies. Uh, I think they went directed video or whatever. Not yeah. too popular. Yeah, he was like obviously a big hefty guy in the in the movie. But you walk into the room and the character walks up and goes, "Hey, I'm." Robbie Coltrane's character. I can't remember the name of the guy, but uh, and he's this like skinny Hawaiian shirt wearing guy. You know, uh, he doesn't really look like anybody. But what's funny is he goes, "You disfigured me, Bond," because in the movie uh, the guy walks with a limp. But in the game, the new game, the guy has a scar that is not visible on his face. Like, I was just like, did he hurt his back or something? Is he going to take his shirt off and show it to me? You know, to be like, oh, my spine hurts. But no, uh, but uh, other than that, I mean, like, I, I haven't beaten it yet, but it is all action. That's the cool thing. And uh, on top of that, a lot of it is stealth. In the original Golden Knight, you would just walk into a room, boom, 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 like Doom, you know? Mm -hmm. This one... If there's 50 guys, they'll gang up on you and shoot you to death. <laughs> so you have to kind of figure a way around it. So you use your smartphone to hack computers, and then the computer will use an automated gun turret to take out people for you and stuff. Oh. There's multiple ways around it. It's like Batman and Arkham Asylum, basically, but first person and you're James Bond. Uh, <laughs> All right, James Bond. We'll find out about more games that you've been playing on next week's breakout bonus level, the John E. Capcom Encounter. Stick around for the council! Will do. How are we doing on time? 
Let's get the council. Open it up. Open it up, Gurks. All right, council on the line. John E. Kubik. Uh, yep. Kyle Von Capcom. They're after me, Lucky Charms. <laughs> Perfect imitation. Excellent. Very I good. Even, I didn't even try to do an accent. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Oh, I thought it sounded good. Now, for this show, we have a topic that I know rung a bell with our council. And because our guest was Larry Ahern, I thought, what a better tie-in to text-based adventure games than naming our favorite walk-around, punch-em-in-the-face, beat em up games. Oh, full throttle, right? I mean, you punch people in the face in that game. You do, but I think you have to, like, type it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, do you remember the, uh, maybe you didn't play this, the fighting mechanics in the Indiana Jones adventure games? Yes. You had to use the number pad, I think, to, like, do an uppercut <laughs> right. and kick. It was right. it was different. Right. They tried. Yep, yep. I got all those through the steams. Oh, the steams. Yeah, the you papers? ever hear that? The steams. You know what steam is? A thing that fills up my hard drive with things I don't play, and then I have to try to figure out how to take it out of my startup items, because every time I restart, then it logs me in there, and i got to wait till it launches, and I force quit Fills it. up the hard drive yeah. and depletes your bank, bank account. account. Definitely. Here we go. Now, I don't know. We're going to talk about punch and kick games today. I don't know. How prepared am I for today's council? I have Pong written down. Can that be right, (laughs) Pong? You fail. Yeah. Now, when you think about fighting games, like the versus type of fighting games, although there were many predecessors like uh, Karate Champ, E.R. Kung Fu, and even just Street Fighter, I think everyone clamors around street fighter 2 as being you know the boom there's a boom or boon the boom sonic boom yeah sonic boom uh as being the cambrian explosion of uh, video games well said (laughs) where all these other titles mutated off of that and became time killers and things like this horrible uh, titles but i think when we think about punch and kick games the craze really started with double dragon I would agree with that. Maybe Renegade as well. And Renegade, and, uh, I think. Streets yeah, of Rage. Definitely, definitely. Streets of Rage. Well, yeah, but that was what. But Double Dragon, I think, kicked it off. That came out before. Yeah, definitely. What's funny about you know genres and video games is it's kind of like a new concept. Where I do remember way back in the era of the arcades that a lot of the games that were what we call today, you know, beat 'em ups or brawlers, were actually considered fighting games. Right, sure. It wasn't until Street Fighter 2 that there was a clear distinction between, you know, walking through multiple screens and punching people in the face and then an actual, like, competition between two players mm-hmm. Versus. fighting. That this is a fighting game and this is a brawler. Right. Um, and then what's funny about that too is you add the element of a gun and now your brawler it's teetering on is it an action game yeah like i remember one of the first brawlers slash action games that i played was rolling thunder and i was thinking about rolling thunder and where it fell in this category it really isn't a punch in the face type of game but it is sort of like what we know as a brawler mm-hmm. it's a running gunner Sure. It's a running gun. <laughs> See, yep. We keep making genres as we go. Yep, yep. You, you, you have that whole evolutionary tree of video gaming. And I think this genre of the, uh, what do we call them? Punch and kicks, beat em ups. Brawlers. I like brawlers. Brawlers. Okay. Haymakers. I, I, haymaker. 
<laughs> I don't think that was really a genre. But I think this is a very stacked genre. I mean, the good with the bad, the bandwagon jumpers, titles you never heard of from the bizarre titles like Downtown or uh, Fighting Roller to the greats like Crime Fighters and DJ Boy. Oh, and don't oh, forget I Guardians love of the Hood. <laughs> don't forget Guardians of the Hood, you know? Yes. Another another classic. And, well, speaking of Guardians of the Hood, you know, the past few shows, I think, I've talked about my first experience unwrapping my Neo Geo when I first brought it home, when it was first available to the public and playing Ninja Combat over and over and over and over again for a week straight. And I also talked about the Ninja Baseball Batman, you know, how bizarre that thing was, how I beat Sega's Spider-Man. Uh, arcade game. Those are some. You were of doing my- that in a tumble, actually, if I remember correctly. Well, well, I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to actually. I wanted us, you and I, to to beat that one as a team. But then we had some uh, uh, malfunctions with our arcade game. They were stealing the boards to try to yes. put, put it in that frenzy machine. That champion of eagle was really uh, putting a dampering on everything. It had to be there, folks. Yes, and, and uh, you really hate that guy, don't you, Kyle? Just like every time, every time you want to like go, oh well, this sucks. It's like, oh yeah, it's like being the champion of Eagle. <laughs> he definitely was the uh, the martyr of Ottumwa, Iowa. <laughs> hey, how about uh, 1988's Superman by Taito? I know that's a title near and dear to your heart. Well, yeah, I, I talked about that is the only good Superman game ever, and you know it's it's okay. But when we had Taito on the line, I talked about how that's. The only playable Superman game. My question is, was that the first licensed brawler? Mm. Because it very well could be. And, you know, you flash forward a few more years, you look at Konami, and some of the best brawlers were actually licensed games. Sure, sure. that studio. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's back up a little bit. My favorite punch and kick games I don't think would be very exciting because we've all played them or we think they kind of stink and that would be uh, the games that we would like would be Double Dragon I loved Super Double Dragon for my uh, PC Engine CD and Irem's Vigilante I played and beat that when it came out for the Turbo Graphics as one of the How about Double Dragon for your Atari? That I did not have (laughs) Oh well, what are some of your favorite punch and kick games? Because I think you might have more to add than this. I'm, I'm going to add some games that I've only uh, really delved into recently, and I think they're pretty awesome. But uh, let's hear about what you got. Not like to go back to the eight bit era and stuff. I was going to say start talking about River City Ransom, but everybody likes that. But there's a game I played on. Remember when they used to release those uh, N64 joy pads full of you know ROMs of games that you could hook it into your TV? Sure. There was. There's this game, and I remember, and I, I just like to know if you guys know if you start off and uh, you're on one screen, and you're like a kung fu guy, and then it cuts to the shot of a temple, and three guys run out of it, and then you have to side scroll and meet them and fight them, and then when you get to the end, you fight a boss and you go back and repeat. Does that ring a bell or anything? Hmm. No, not for me. It seemed like it was 8-bit or something, but I just thought I'd get that out there. And to talk about a Double Dragon, I remember my cousin Adam used to refer to uh, some of the villains in there, Weedabix heads, because there's like a breakfast cereal over here Weedabix. called Weedabix. Yeah. And uh, the guys look like it, so I literally grew up thinking that Double Dragon was a licensed game because they licensed the cereal for the guys' heads. <laughs> 
And uh, but like the first one that I really remember loving as a kid was actually Double Dragon on the Super Nintendo. Not a lot of people kind of go on about that one. I don't know. Maybe it's not as good compared to the originals on the NES or whatever. But to me, it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, it looks nice. It's got like the weapons and the way you fight and all is pretty cool as well. It's like I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle. But uh, definitely one to look out for. And obviously, I mean, like I was trying to think about what kind of constitutes a punch and kick game. And uh, it seems to be you don't carry a weapon with you all the time. You have to be able to use a pipe or something like a pipe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, you must be able to get health from like turkey. And uh, cool. so, I mean, it's if you were a meat eating plumber. With a sweet tooth, you are a badass in these games, you know? <laughs> Obviously, in the arcade, there was quite a few great ones that, I mean, gone over and over again, like Final Fight and Cadillacs and Dinosaurs and all that, but mm-hmm. there's one on the, the Mega Drive. I didn't even know about when it came out, and I only found out about it during the uh, the time when emulators became available to me, and that was Comic Zone. I'm assuming you've played oh, both yes. of Sure. Yeah. That was definitely a, a moving and punching game, but I mean, like, I love the aesthetic of it, the panels of it, you know, or the, like the way you move from one panel to the next, and the captions and everything else. And I just that one to me is good because even though you're moving a lot, every fight is tough. Mm-hmm. You know, usually you're you're just you walk into a room and like ten guys run at you and you just plow through them. This one, you go into a room and there's a guy. And you're going to have to beat him up for a good solid 10-15 minutes before yes. he goes down, you know? So that Even was fighting good. the rats in that game was difficult. Yeah. You got a yeah. rat, <laughs> he's running around, you're chasing after it. Yeah, it had great environmental interaction. And Kyle, were you playing games and when that came out, when it was first coming out? Oh, sure. Were you, yeah. reading, were you reading the magazines when that was uh, announced and things like that? Yes, a uh, heavy diet of Game Pro and Electronic Monthly Gaming. Sure, Electronic Gaming Monthly. You want to do? Yeah, that one. Okay. Uh, you want me to say it again? Yeah. <laughs> a heavy diet of Game Pro and Electronic Monthly Gaming. Yeah, Electronic Monthly Gaming. That was very good. Yeah. That's Am one I of my favorite magazines. Electronic Gaming Monthly. Wow, a heavy diet of Game Pro Magazine and Electronic Gaming Monthly. Yeah, I'm using the other one. Hey. Yes, no. Hey, uh, and I think that one of the coolest things about it was it had a lot of hype, and it was a completely original franchise. Like, it didn't use Spider-Man yes. or something like that, so that was really cool. A friend of mine, he played it to death when it came up, but, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I couldn't afford magazines, mm. so uh, if I got to, I don't know, I wasn't in the hype for some of them, but I think by that time, I was probably paying attention to the 32-bit systems a bit, you know. I think it came out kind of late in the Genesis life. I'm not sure if I'm not mistaken. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Am I am I wrong? There was a Game Gear version of that, right? Yeah, I I think there was. May have had that. I, I was thinking of Master System, but now that you mentioned Game Gear, that's what it actually. Well, it's the same thing, right? Yeah, it is the same thing. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Game Gear, uh, one of the great fighting game series in the early '90s was uh, Streets of Rage. Sure. That was on the Game Gear as well. And I remember, I'll never forget the day I bought my Game Gear and my uh, Streets of Rage copy because I, I just ran back to my flat in Wales and I put the batteries in and I turned the system on and the system came on and the game was broke and I had to go back and return it. Oh. So, wow. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if I... Uh, if I lost or won that day because I've looked up videos of it and it looks pretty bad. I see. 
What you got, Kyle? You got something? You got any games, Kyle? <laughs> yes, actually, I do. Of okay. course, I was just talking about Konami in, in the 90s, and you couldn't go wrong. I mean, you had four-player cooperative play, maybe six even, with uh, one of the variants of the X-Men games. Oh, right, um, yeah. And you couldn't go wrong with these games. I mean, you saw them. They looked beautiful. The art, pixel-wise, was like, you, you didn't think it could get any better than that. I mean, when you played The Simpsons, it's yeah. like, this looks like the TV show. Yeah. When you played uh, X-Men, you're like, this looks like the TV show. So uh, I really, those are very near and dear to my heart, but everybody loves those. River City Ransom is another one. But one of the first brawlers that... I remember playing besides Rolling Thunder and a few others that kind of are in that gray area was Golden Axe. And I love the Golden Axe franchise. Um, it, it, the, the like fantasy and, and the cooperative play, it was just a really cool game. I enjoyed it. Riding on the backs of those weird creatures was something that to me was completely new and unique at the time. I don't know. For whatever reason, it just it ate up all my quarters that machine I, I couldn't i couldn't get enough of playing golden axe you know another one that i really loved was magician lord yeah. um and i like magician lord because of the fantasy aspect had that like lord of the rings vibe happening but i also love the mechanic in the game where you would pick up gems and you'd mix and match them into rings and get uh -huh. different powers i thought that was really cool there was just in, in the 90s there was a lot of inventive things happening because you had to do more than just walk from left to right and punch dudes in the face at that point of the game you know what i mean like yeah. you had to come up with something that was kind of kind of different but not too different from the franchise i mean they all had very similar mechanics and, and play but a lot of the games in the 90s started doing things a little more unique a little more different and, and those particularly the golden axe and magician lord to me were cool because you had you also had the interplay of weapons as well as magic Speaking of Golden Axe, uh, around the same time on the Genesis, when Golden Axe came in Genesis, they also brought out Alien Storm. They did a, a fairly decent job bringing it to the Genesis, but I was recently playing that. Uh, this bar that I frequent has a great arcade, mm -hmm. and Chiz joined in. She picked it right up. We were shooting ghost-busting the aliens in the shopping mart. We were running down the street, and that was what was so neat about Alien Storm was that you did your normal Golden Axe type of slow go shooting of the zombies and things like this with your little ray gun um, uh, vacuum cleaner thing yeah. and, but then you had those running levels where you're just going so fast um, and, and shooting at things well, what was really great about this genre of gaming is that it has very low barrier of entry. Anybody could just pick up and join in. Didn't mean you were particularly good, right? But you, because of that four-player, sometimes six, cooperative play. I mean, anybody could join. You know that party. It, it was very cool. It was something that most of the games in the arcade at the time, at max, you had two players. So when you saw this giant cabinet with all these joysticks and buttons, it was very alluring. And then you you start playing. And somebody come in and join in and before you knew it all four spots or six spots were taken up it was just very cool experience that i guess you wouldn't experience again until we started playing games online right well, yeah to the point now where you actually can play x-men and all online yeah well now you can yeah, play it uh, on 
XBLA or the PSN. Console-wise, and I'm surprised this wasn't brought up, and Konami-wise, biting off the fame of the Ninja Turtles, Battletoads. Why didn't anyone mention Battletoads? Oh, sure, yeah. That was a great brawler, and it fulfills John's requirements of picking up a pipe and bashing things. <laughs> exactly. I think, we, you know, we've, we've pretty much touched on many of these games in, in previous in the episodes. Past, yeah, sure. yeah. There's a group on Facebook, actually, called You Like Battletoads? Well, no, actually, you like the first two levels of Battletoads because nobody gets past it. Like, you know? This is true. Uh, the game was insanely difficult, especially the, the, I guess, the speeder bike level. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody could beat unless you had a game genie. Well, that's rare, though. Like, when you're playing, like, Donkey Kong and stuff like that, and the same with Star Fox Adventure and all that, they just love throwing in just these rock hard vehicle levels and stuff mm. and uh, like I remember playing Star Fox Adventure and I know this is kind of off topic but uh, it's just a kind of a Zelda clone you're walking around being Fox McCloud and sure. solving stuff and whatever and then there's this like speeder thing it's as tough as the one from Battletoads and I remember you're on some ice planet and I was so sick of seeing the animation of driving off the cliff <laughs> I just it was infuriating like you know and I don't know why I don't know why I mean like I like Rares games but it seemed like it was always like oh you've got the hang of our physics you know our beat em up physics well how about you try racing how about that you know <laughs> you think you're so great you brought up Donkey Kong I, I assume you're bringing up Donkey Kong Country with yeah. the uh, yeah that, that was I know I, I talk about this occasionally on We Talk Games that was another rage moment for me as a child was throwing the controller during that minecart level because oh. it was insanely difficult and I did eventually beat it but um, many controllers being hocked <laughs> while trying to play that level it was very difficult it should come with a thing warning only use third party controllers that you didn't spend too much yes. money on playing this level step <laughs> one go out and buy a pelican controller <laughs> oh my Hey, uh, speaking of uh, going way off topic, and uh, this is just something that I recently saw at this uh, bar that I frequent. I didn't even know that this came out, but it's more in the line of a versus fighting game, although it does have a story mode, so I'm going to sneak it in a little bit, even though it actually... And we always talk about the Captain America and the Avengers, that great Daddy East title uh, that didn't make it to the consoles as well as it did in the arcade. But Daddy East in 1995 still had the license for Marvel Comics. They made a versus fighting game called Avengers and Galactic Storm. Have you ever heard of this? No. No, no. Tell me about it. Okay, it came out in 1995. So 1994, you had that killer instinct. And this brings over that KI feeling with uh, very simple CG graphics. And like I said, it has a story mode. So you could do versus fighting or a story mode. And the story mode, you could play two-player co-op against the one enemy. And you'd go against different enemies and work your way through the story, which lasted about, I don't know, four or five people that you fought. And then it said, now go fight each other. So that was the whole of the story. But it features the great characters of the Black Knight. You could choose to be Captain America. You could choose to be Thunderstrike. Remember that guy? He was in he's in the comics for like six months. He he took the place of Thor. And I'll let you try to guess the last uh, person you could be. It's a it's a female character. A better Bill. A female character. Um, Dazzler. Dazzler's getting close. Crystal. 
crystal oh, of yeah, the I inhumans. I was really close, actually. <laughs> of the inhumans. That would have been my like fourth pick if we kept going. <sighs> I I mean, how who, how did the Black Knight, Thunderstrike, and Crystal? That's barely the Marvel universe. <laughs> um, but the unique thing about this game was it was the first versus fighting game where you had a second. You had that, uh, what, I don't know what you want to call it. Um, what do you, you know, when you call on your second that just comes in and uh, does a punch. character or it's like in Mogan all the time where you got like, you call in somebody, they come and trash the person and then jump out. Exactly. Yep. They, they jump in and jump out. Here's your seconds. Thor. Okay. Now you're getting more, more in the Marvel universe. Giant yeah. man's hand. Giant man's hand. <laughs> and remember, this is all this is all computer generated. So you can imagine how great this is. Giant Man's hand comes in and crushes your opponent. Uh, Iron Man or the Vision, and it's the green and red Vision. So I, I are you telling that. me there's no dog welder in this game? Lockjaw? No dog welder. Dog welder? I don't know. I don't remember that character. You got to get a Marvel encyclopedia. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I remember one guy dressed up like a puppy, but I can't. How about remember. Red B? Does that ring a bell? Red no, B? No, no matter no. eater lad. <laughs> Is Captain Britain in there at all? Or? No, no. But um, you you go against such great uh, villains as Korath, uh, Minerva, uh, and well, we, I I was familiar with Ronan. He was that that green metallic looking dude with the big hammer, and Shatter X. Remember Shatter X? All the greats, but they they have seconds too. Your your villains, like the Sentinel, comes in and things like this. But like I said, very interesting. Well, how about we talk about some of the uh, awesome brawlers in the thirty two bit era, like Die Hard for the Saturn and things like that. I know everyone here has played these games. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love Dynamite Decca, Dynamite Decca too. Yes, uh, I've talked about them uh, many times. And Saturn has a lot of great hidden gems on there. Oh, exactly Saturn! Talking about yeah, uh-huh. uh, this on Twitter not too long ago. There's a lot of just a lot of if you love the old arcades, there's a lot of great arcade games on that Saturn, and and even original ones like Three Dirty Dwarfs. I love yes. that. That was a, that was a side-scrolling one where you know you can walk into the foreground and and uh, beat on people. I especially like the games where you can beat on them when they're down, kick them when they're down. That's what I say. Like growl. Growl and uh, uh, X Men Arcade. Actually, you can do that. Yeah, which is funny because if you pick Cyclops, all he does is just walk up and kick the guys in the face. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's the he's the most heroic of them all. Growl is disturbing though because I mean you can grab a woman by her hair and punch her in the face while she's on her knees. Yeah, we've it's, we've heard about that many times from you, John. <laughs> I yeah. know it's disturbing. Okay, I'm sorry. Is a mark for violence against women. He loves those games. Didn't we have a feature on that? I'll do a bobble on it someday. Right? Okay, It'll very be good. Growl. Come up with a, a new. Uh, is it an acronym? Yeah, girl receives ongoing whoopings. Like, uh, I, I remember like, when, it, like, you know, when you're so used to just like, it's almost like a comic book when you're beating these guys up. You know, it's like you, the only thing missing is the pow from the '60s stuff. Like, you know. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm just walking through this game, thinking, oh well, here's a bunch of guys in the middle. I beat a poison a bunch of times in Final Fight. Yeah. And then I literally was just like, oh, so I guess that attack is called abuse. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just having the, the voiceover abuse. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
it was a bit too real. Gotcha. You know, I mentioned Irem in the beginning there. I loved Irem's games, and I've talked about Irem before, you know, the creators of R-Type and a lot of other really neat games. They, they always had a certain extra bit of attention to artistic detail. Some things that only appear once in an entire game will happen, and, and very meticulous, they visibly go an extra step when trying to make something uh, look artistically pleasing. And they actually had a game in 1992 called Undercover Cops. This featured folks from the year 2015. And enter the City Sweepers. That's your heroes in this game. The City Sweepers, they called them. Uh, which um, I'm not sure the, the translation really followed through on there. Uh, but when, you're, when your high score comes up, it says best sweepers. So this was a game. Did you, you ride know, around in a street sweeper? <laughs> I don't know. That would, awesome. that, w- that would have been awesome. No, you don't do that. But, of course, this followed in the footsteps of the Final Fight type of games and things like this. And you had uh, three characters to choose from, Claude, Bubba, or Flame. Uh, and each character has their own nickname or also known as type of thing. And Flame's nickname was the Blue Gale Revenger. Uh, she's an ex-girl bounty hunter. She has a flying hip attack. And she looks like a real bruiser, speaking about women being represented in video games. She looks tough. She looks like she's yeah. going to beat you up, but she's still pretty. Now, you had Claude. Of course, he's the karate expert. Very, you know, typical. Uh, Bubba's the ex-football player. His code name is Fireball Crusher. So I guess okay. that... Are you sure I, you're not talking about the next Final Fantasy game characters? Because sound pretty similar <laughs> to what just came out. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, is it one of them called, like, Thunder or, or Lightning or something like that? Mm, yeah, I don't I mean, know. I stopped playing those after 8. I don't really follow up on the new games. I'm, uh, I'm exploring my roots. That's good. Keep going. I'm sorry. But you fight against the villains, you can slap villains with a giant fish in this one. This game really took, yeah, this game really took every element of like the Final Fight series and this genre of picking up pipes and took it to the next level. Because you do pick up pipes, but not just pipes. You can you can pick up giant steel girders that do massive damage, giant concrete columns, and you actually pull them out of the earth, and nice. they take up like the whole screen. And these giant columns, if you pull them out, they'll, they'll be uh, longer. Make sure you pull them out. That's your pro player tip. Because if you just kick them out, they'll be shorter. And as you whack people with these giant concrete columns, they do massive damage. One hit kills. And uh, blood goes spurting a bit. In a sort of fountain animation, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the column will s- slowly break apart as you're hitting more people with it. But one of the other unique things about this as like you walk across different parts of the environment and like the bridge starts falling down in back of you you can actually get kicked off that broken part of the bridge and you lose an entire life now i gotta ask you another standard of the brawler is were there any turkeys or hamburgers to replenish your health in this game oh yeah oh yeah in fact uh you get big ham dinners and things like this and uh uh, that's another thing Uh, these uh if you when you pull out a column, you'll get little things, and I think some of the items that you kick over, you'll have like uh, frogs jumping out, or this one thing. I know you kicked it. There's a snail, and you could eat that, and it sort of makes your character flash for a little while. And I, you weren't invincible. I don't know why it did. It was just like these little special items uh, that would go flying out of certain things. I thought you'd pick it up and you get points, but I, I guess I guess you yes. So you're it eating it, huh? Yeah, I don't know. a little escargot to go with your brawler. <laughs> exactly, and. Other 
other parts of environments too. Uh, like I said, you could kick your enemies off of these parts of the bridge that were destroyed, and they'd be they'd be killed instantly. Also, Wasn't it so cool when you like destructive environments when you saw that? Yeah, because for the longest time the environment, you know, the environment or background was so static, and then sure. a, a lot of these brawlers, you kick through like an oil barrel or you kick somebody through a door, yep. it just blew your mind. Yeah, and this one also, you know, took it to another level where this one area had uh, this hydraulic press, and the the boss is constantly trying to throw you into that press, and you see the meter as to when the press is going to come down again to try to squashing you got to try to jump out of the pit and you can also kick the boss into there as well bosses are very large uh, the, the the second boss is this large mohawked woman named fatso <laughs> and she's got a appropriately yeah, named yeah she's got a clown face on her belly that really doesn't do anything but she, <laughs> she and it's an evil clown face and she um she laughs uh, and shakes uh, her things all around the, nice. the art style is amazing uh if you could see this woman uh, the the floppy bosoms everything is just so uh, humorous about it and then she puts on the giant waterworks the 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 incredible japanese type of waterworks when you're beating her down too much uh, speaking of picking up parts of environments, you can throw flaming garbage cans at people and little Molotov uh, cocktail type of things come out. They're just sticks with fire on them. And when you throw this at one of your villains, they'll just incinerate and that's the end of them. One hits. You, you pick up a wrecked Humvee at the beginning of the first level and you throw that at people. You pick up a motorcycle over your head and throw that at people and it blows up. Great character design. Even greater character names. The third boss is called gun puncher <laughs> of course yeah. uh, <laughs> getting right to the point and then there's a the one part there's a the, this crazy clown wizard with a fire breathing dragon ding dong there's a lot of clown themes in this game yeah and when you when you beat this guy because he shoots like fire and flames out of himself all over the place he bursts into flames himself and then he's a charred praying skeleton Alright, that's cool. The villains uh, do get repetitive. It's it's uh, and it's very hard. It's a real quarter muncher. Be sure to bring a couple hundred dollars worth of quarters. But it's a, f <laughs> it's a fun romp if you've never heard of it, and uh, uh, so I recommend it. It's uh, called Undercover Cops. Get in a time machine and go play that. As I said, to go back to Golden Axe, um, have either of you ever played Golden Axe Two in the arcade? Uh, is that Death Eater's Revenge? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Indeed. Yeah. 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 Yep. I only played it recently because I read an article in Retro Gamer about it, mm -hmm. mm. and uh, I was I was lucky that I was able to find a, an import arcade near here. You know, like in Indiana Jones, at the end of the thing where the guy's like face melts. Yes. Well, when you do your fire attack uh, as like the Conan the Barbarian guy or whatever, it cuts like if there's any like uh, little soldiers around, it'll zoom in on their faces as the fire melts the skin off their skulls. It's amazing looking. Uh, there's a lot of walking into the screen and pseudo 3D and stuff like that as well, but uh, it's really cool looking game. And uh, if you can find a copy and play it, definitely try it. But it's so. a much more realized version of that franchise, and it, it was very good. A lot more animation, uh, a lot tighter graphics, a lot more going on. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Gilius, the little um, 
dwarf yep. uh, character in the first one. Mm-hmm. Like he's riding around on this giant guy's back in that one, and he's like, it's like Master Blaster from Mad Max Three. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, like, I, I do wonder about the uh, the big guy's intelligence, but you know. <laughs> It's like an episode of Fat Albert. Yeah. There's a brawler that should have been made. I would have loved to play as Dumb Donald. There you go. Through 32 exciting levels of Fat Albert punch in the face. (laughs) You know, I I don't know why, but I I really wish someone would bring out a punch and kick version of a license that I would love to see. And, of course, the courtship of Eddie's father, because... I'd just be crying throughout the whole thing. I don't know why. You could either be Mrs. Livingston, you could be uh, Eddie, you could be Tom, or uh, Tom's uh, friend that was the photographer that always was, uh, you know, trying to get hot models and things like this. You know what? I I think our demographic probably didn't get that, but I really appreciate that joke. Well, that's all that matters. But let's talk about 1993's Konami, going to Konami again, an unlicensed title, a fantastic punch and kick called Violent Storm. It could either be Wade, Boris, or Kyle. So Kyle likes games where he could be his himself. self, where he doesn't have to put his own name in, and it says, Kyle! Yeah, um, I mean, they only give you three letters at the end of it, so I gotta look for those games that actually have my full name in there. Got you, got you. Well, this is another... Uh, post-apocalyptic future type of game as envisioned by the 1980s envisioner. Yes. Yes. And you're wearing your futuristic garb, which is, of course, suspenders with spikes in them. So like the Road Warrior? Yeah, that's exactly what's going on here. Very large, well-animated characters, as you would expect from Konami. And they swipe heavy from Final Fight right down to having the city map that you look at between the levels of where you're going. And uh, there's, there's you know, two karate dudes and one big pro wrestling looking guy. And the pro oh, wrestling, yeah. Yeah, the pro I've wrestling, heard this one before. Yeah, the pro wrestling looking guy even has a very familiar walking animation. His uh, two button special quarter draining move is to spin around with his arms out. Uh, so, yeah, you know where this is going. But this is really cool because it's a lot of fun. They really took it up uh, a couple notches from Final Fight. First of all, it's quick. So, uh, your your characters are speedy. So, even if things are getting repetitive with your the character design of, uh, of the, you know, the, the thugs that you see from the beginning, at least you're going through it more rapidly and you can speed through it. Uh, the second level has a train level. You got to love that. And one of the really fun nuances of this is you're going through this one uh, boxcar and there's a mama sow laying in there with all these little piglets. Well, you, you pick up the piglet and it turns into a football and then you throw the football at your, your enemies. <laughs> and if you try to pick up the football again, it bounces all around the screen like it's made out of silly putty or something. It's, um, it's made out of flubber. There's another game we need. Flubber game. No. Um, okay. Does the uh, wrestler guy, does he have a sweet mustache? He does not. He does not. He has a crew cut, but he does wear the spiked suspenders, and uh, he looks like he's getting ready to break dance. That mechanic of the, you know, the big guy with the two little guys. Yep. It was, you know, it was heavily, heavily used uh, throughout. Of course, I remember most memorably 
in Burning Fight, but uh, not to bring that up again, but let's bring that up again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, that that was another muscle guy, and that was a, another, you know, it seemed like subways and, you know, shops, fronts and stuff like that were a big thing. Like, you know, I mean, Definitely. I remember, if you've ever played, actually, this one that came out a few years ago, it's free to download. It's a, someone, these guys made, remade uh, Streets of Rage. It's like redrawn graphics and stuff like that. But uh, it's a fan-made thing. But the music and that and all is really cool. I mean, if you're a fan of Streets of Rage, I recommend checking it out. And what they did was they recycled all the sprites basically from Streets of Rage 2. But they re- they built a new... Um, what was the guy? There was Axel and then the girl and then the other guy in the first one. I can't remember his name now. But they did a redraw. They did, like, they did an original creation of him. Uh, so you can play as him in the Street Fighter, Street Rage Two kind of world. Ah, oh, gotcha, and, gotcha. You know, and uh, like it, it Blades and Max and all those guys who are in there as well from the later ones. But uh, they try to add like RPG elements to it as well, I guess. So you know the way, like y- at the beginning of those games, you're like, listen, those are the bad guys. Go punch them in the face. And this one is just like you get a little bit more explanation, and some of it is a little bit too wordy, you know, because it's like it's fanfic basically. It's still really cool, and it's free, obviously. So, and that's the thing—the shop front thing, the arcade in the background. You know, the way there was like always usually arcades and stuff mm-hmm. like that in those sure. backgrounds of those games. They fleshed it out so when you're playing through the first level, you can look in through the arcade, and they've like replicated like the stand-up afterburner is there okay. in the window, and like uh, different bosses from different games are standing around playing Outrun and stuff like that. So it's, it's really cool. Gotcha. Well, this game also features uh, two uh, Konami's arcade games i think gappa and i don't recall the second one right now but it also has a little a lot of other little nuances like uh, one of the items that you pick up besides a, a hamburger and things like this is the little twin bee a doll of the twin bee characters oh, um cool. and speaking of uh, interesting names the uh, one heavy metal looking villains game in here is called giga death giga death <laughs> And uh, and one of the bosses, uh, drawing off their other uh, franchise title, uh, this one fella named Sledge, he has these steel plates uh, all over his uh, chest and back and knees and things like this. And he wears a bandana-style face mask uh, and is wisecracking a bit, um, an homage to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles there. This is a great kick them when they're down title. I like that. Some original level twists. Very interesting. And uh, just like Undercover Cops, some of the backgrounds uh, interact. Like there's this machine level where, once again, hydraulic press comes down. But it'll squash you into this cartoony puddle of a person. Like a squished, uh, coin-shaped, you know, Bugs Bunny type of uh, character. And it also, if an obstacle can hurt you, it can also hurt your opponents. So I enjoy that as, as well to try to push your opponents into these molten steel pits so that they burst into flames. But hands down, the reason that this game gets the most play, the reason that this game might be popular on the boards is because it has some of the best music, tons of voice. It rivals Street Hoops. Uh, which is probably my favorite. It rivals the uh, Super Big Brother soundtracks from the PlayStation 1. I'm going to get you eventually, but I've got nothing to lose now. Just wait. I'll get even with you. Get it on. 
it's uh, some really great rap going on that that does not rhyme at all. But uh, it's it's some really amazing stuff. Uh, some neat bosses. You guys see Mr. Julius? He's this, this statue that comes to life. He's got, he's got an undulating uh, bikini area. Yeah. Violent storm. Check it out. It's uh, it's it's fun. Just two notable mentions, actually, uh, thanks to the Internet. There, I mean, there's millions of brawlers out there that some of us will never get to experience. Yeah. Um, a couple of years back, I'm a big Tobor the Eighth Man fan. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up on Sci-Fi Channel, and they used to play Gigantor, Tobor, and uh, Astro Boy, all the black and white animes from the 50s. And later on in years, I was like, man, it's shocking there was never, an, you know, a Tobor the Eighth Man <laughs> game. Uh-huh. And then doing some research, I actually found a brawler. And it's not particularly great in any respect, and it's based more on the contemporary anime of uh, Eighth Man. But um, it was cool that it was out there. And another one I found, another notable mention, was uh, Little Nemo. And I'm not talking about the game on the NES, which is fantastic. Mm. I'm talking about the horrible brawler from Capcom that I think is unfinished. Because I tried playing that on my special antenna, and I got to a certain point in the game where it just locked up. I Could see. have been a bad ROM, or they just it's some sort of prototype, because the game looks very clunky. It doesn't look like it was finished. It might be a fan-made thing. I don't know. But uh, definitely, there's, if there's a license out there that you love, chances are that there's a brawler out there for you. Sure. Whether it's good or not, eh, you know, whatever. That's a, that's a roll of the dice. I have eight man sitting on my shelf. Uh, I was one of the, one I, I bought that uh, probably for around 150 bucks, I think, for my Neo Geo. And um, both eight man is in there and nine man is the second player. Oh. <laughs> yes. I don't remember the eight man thing. Like, um, I played that. I remember just in a documentary online about like the Neo Geo and the life and death of the hardware and the company and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in Wales at the time, and I was like, just I really wanted to play some uh, some Neo Geo games like I had in years. And I, I was just like, there's an arcade up the road. Did hardly have one, you know. I mean, this is uh, like two or three years ago. And I walked in, and uh, sure enough, there was the most beat-up-looking MVS you've ever seen sitting in the corner. And uh, I was just like, "Oh, what am I going to play?" And I started pl- pressing the button. And I was like, "Well, hey, man, that's a that's a jump and run and punch one, like you know." Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, "Okay, now I guess the Neo Geo isn't quite as spectacular as I remember." Oh, the- yeah, it's it's not it's not the the best title, but there are some running levels in that as well. So that was kind of. Cool. I guess they lost the whole smoking cigarettes to yeah up thing in the contemporary anime. I, I vividly remember him smoking. It wasn't a cigarette; it was a power up hidden in a cigarette. Yeah, but that was like very much in the cartoon when I watched as a kid. Oh yeah, in this newer version, I guess that's lost. They don't do that anymore. No, no, they they, they still do that. Yeah, they still do. Oh that. really? But, yeah, it was a live action. I think that I think that that it was called. Eight Man After, and uh, I think that that arcade game came out um, in conjunction with the live-action movie, which is great okay. if you've never seen it, because uh, it starts out in a bar room, and there's a there's a, a male singer, and he's singing the song "Natural Woman." And, oh, we've uh, talked about yeah, this. You wait yeah, for him to go. Yeah, yeah. You wait. You wait for him to go for the hook, and he actually sings, "You make me feel like a natural woman." And yes. that's it's amazing stuff. Well, we talked about this last month, I think. Uh, yeah, that was it. No, but uh, 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 real quick too, a, a great brawler talking about the uh, trifecta of anime. I grew up on 
Astro Boy for the Game Boy Advance. That's a great game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really is, good. Yeah. Definitely really. check that out. I think you can get it pretty cheap. It's definitely worth the buy if you like brawlers and if you have any sort of connection to that franchise. Right on. Just don't get the one based on the movie. I think we talked about that as well. Oh, wait. Well, that was a Game Boy Advance, so I don't need to say that. Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. an easy way of knowing which one is bad and which one is good. If he's in a tracksuit, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of more contemporary titles, let's talk about some of the contemporary brawlers. Okay. Like Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim, of course, comes to everybody's mind, and we've talked about it on the show already, but that is a good example of a uh, homage to the 90s era of brawlers. But I'm thinking about Castle Crashers, too, which is also a phenomenal game. Gotcha. Yeah, it's awesome. But it doesn't break. I only played Castle Crashers first time there recently, and uh, playing multiplayer is a lot of fun. I like... Uh, the air juggling and the lightsabers and all that stuff it's really the art style is very nice yeah it's just it looks great and i mean it's tough as well which is kind of cool you know so it's not a very easy game no it's a bit of a challenge in there and uh like but there's just one i was thinking about i mean like i don't know if this counts but uh i think marvel ultimate alliance is a bit of a punch and kick game i mean you got your superpowers and all that but you are literally just running into rooms and just punching, you know, no hopers in the face all the time. It's not a side scroller, but yeah, it's a brawler. Yeah. If you go back, there's a lot of three quarter overhead punch and kick games as well. I'm not prepared to talk about any of them, but <laughs> they they date back a long time as well. I think that's a, a whole side genre of a, of a similar theme. Yeah, that reminded me of Loaded as well. I remember Loaded. Oh yeah, sure. I'm not sure if this is a platformer or not. It's not very modern either, but do you remember Hercules on the PlayStation? Yeah, I uh, loved it. It's one of yeah, the, I mean, one of the best Disney release games. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a run and punch and kick game and the animation of it was great, like you know. It's the one game I'm really thinking about trying to get through the uh PlayStation Media Go thing that I hate because you know you went there and you're like okay can I search for a game by writing in the name of it no um, you can go by these very poorly defined I guess you could say genres like action and family you know who could forget all those great family <laughs> genre games from back in the day you know that, that game I think is underrated and I think mainly because I mean let's face it you see Disney game you kind of go okay this is for babies you know? sure yeah sure. Uh, but that one was that one was really cool and a lot of a lot of that really nice uh, 2D pixel art going on, on well, well. E- even Aladdin yeah 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 it was kind of a platform but yeah it's it's eh, yeah, no, you know a, what I agree it's a, it's more of a brawler yeah it was, it was better on Sega Apple. than it was on the Super Nintendo. Well, you throw apples at people, so... Well, the, yeah, the <laughs> Super Nintendo, you threw apples. Sega, you actually got a sword. The Super Nintendo one looked better. Right, like right. The Super Nintendo one, though, you did jump on people's heads and stuff. So yes. Yeah, I guess it's more of an action platform. Okay, I lose. But that was a good game. More recently, we're starting to see uh, a swell of brawlers again. I mean, I know... You're not a big fan of this game, Wiggly. Uh, and neither was I, really. But Mad World is an example of a contemporary brawler, right? Yeah, yeah. Great. I can't remember what that was. You know, the one where you're in the black and white the world? Announcer ma- you know, oh, the announcer making... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Break proofs making all those funny quips you loved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that one. I but still have it. Sh- yeah. Shank is another example uh, of, uh, you know, thanks to downloadable fun at home, People are taking some, uh, some not risks, but uh, giving smaller games a chance. And there's a lot of new brawlers out there that are particularly good. Shank's a good game. Yep. Castle Crashes is a good game. Yep. Uh, Scott Pilgrim's a great game. 
All right, gang, well, we're out of time. Hey, uh, hopefully this wetted your whistle for the side-scrolling beat-em-ups. Go beat-em-ups! Talk to you next time, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, that's it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of We Talk Games, Council Slash Interview Edition. Special thanks to Larry Ahern, Kyle Von Kubik, Johnny Capcom, Stinky the Game Master, and his friend, Mr. Gerke. I'll keep the light on, TT. Take care, everybody. Bye now. I'm going to get you eventually. Everybody want to not get those down. I will straight to Sheena. And I'll be there. Yes, I will. This world is very difficult. But I've got nothing to lose now. There's no defeat. You sooner die. Challenge the beginning of the end. Till I rescue Sheena. I'm never going to stop. Leave my power. Now I spend my time fighting all around. I'm a tough guy. Do it, man. You think you can beat us? We got the look. Oh, so fine. Just wait. I'll get even with